Welcome to Theologically Speaking, a podcast of BJU Seminary. I'm your host, Eric Newton. In this week's episode, you'll hear a conversation between two pastors. My colleague, a professor here at BJU Seminary, Jason Ormiston, who also pastors Palmetto Baptist Church in nearby Piedmont, and his father, Pastor Lee Ormiston, who is pastor of Family Baptist Church in North Minneapolis, Minnesota. They'll have a conversation about the challenges and the blessings of gospel ministry in the inner city, and I think you'll really benefit from it. Well, it's great to have you, Dad, on campus at Bob Jones University, and it's just been a delight to listen to what God's done in and through you in Minneapolis and to have the students hear about it at the Stuart Custer Lecture Series and to partner with Irvin McNeil. That was a blessing, too. We wanted to have an idea, a better idea of Family Baptist, of who you are and you know what God's been doing. So I want to start with giving you an opportunity to tell us a little bit about the history of Family mm-hmm. Baptist. So it's a broad question, but mm-hmm. I think it will be helpful. Well, first of all, we're a church plant of uh, Fourth Baptist Church, it, which was a result of a large, very established, you know, 100-year-old church that really had an impact in our, our area of uh, Christendom. Uh, but they were in, uh, in a very, very difficult uh, social area, area of the world, <laughs> which was very violent. It was already violent at that point, and their um, membership was over 95% of suburban, and they finally made the proper conclusion that by better off getting a suburban location where we can bring our neighbors and people can be feeling comfortable. I remember well that uh, one uh, school activity yeah. where they the police wouldn't allow anybody to leave. They encircled the area because there was a gang war outside. And Yeah, I remember that. I was, I was at the Christian school when that was going on, yeah. and it was a volleyball game. And yeah, you was... can imagine how all the parents felt. Oh, how yeah, we thought it was secure. cool, but... Yeah. Parents weren't too pumped about it. And that, that was that's a little a, less. That was a tough context for people to drive yeah. into the city. I think those in the city knew that they were not us. Like they, right. Their view was, you are not the same as who we are. You're from outside and actually got targeted because of that. Yeah. Well, Dr. Pickering was gracious. Uh, although the church had, Fourth Baptist had a history of certain specific Sunday school classes and they never deviated from that. He allowed us to, allowed Pam and I to start a Sunday school class. And I remember that was really a a step forward for us. We had already been calling a lot. As you know, you were with me. We were knocking on a lot of doors, meeting people, and, but they wouldn't come to our church. And so we put together a church, a Sunday school class was just for them uh, for a month. It was just my wife and I, Pam and I, your mom and I sitting there. But then all of a sudden it started to click, and uh, we got that up to a hundred people. Yeah. And that ultimately that core was what uh, was um, the group, the, the nucleus that formed the church, that was to take over this area and main maintain a gospel witness in this area as the other group relocated to where they could flourish. Yeah, I've always thought it was fascinating the type of church plant because it was a well-established church that had been around for over 100 years, I believe. Mm -hmm. And when Dr. McLaughlin came back his second time, he had been there before as pastor, right after the, really the uh, founding pastor, R.V. Clearwaters. And and then he lasted for uh, like five years, had some difficulty in the transition. Ernest Pickering came, then McLaughlin came back. You were on staff. You're leading this Sunday school class. 
Um, one of the things that I think was influential in Family Baptist getting started, from my memory, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, was the Faithful Men program that you had. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because that was that's like seed. To well, we we were plan. a church. Uh, I was brought into a church. I had did not have formal training at this point for much, at any rate. And Dr. Pickering uh, asked if I would come on as pastor evangelism. I left my business and went into this, having a sales background. I figured, well, I forget, I could figure this out. Um, well, we started going into the area and uh, recruited certain individual, offered to train different individuals. We had a core of 12, and that group, just by knocking on doors and then encouraging them to be friendly to the people that visited so that anybody came in from the, that our outreach really felt like they were welcome and yeah. they had friends there. Uh, man, it was just exciting. And we saw a lot of decisions for Christ. We saw a lot of individuals got fired up about the Lord that had been in the, in the pew for a long time. So it was, it was good both ways. What would you say to the, um, the skeptic that says door-to-door evangelism doesn't work? Well, I would say to them, in 2020, after March 30th and all of the you know, lock, lockdowns yeah. and the mass discussions and how you With better watch out or you're going to catch right. this yeah. and you're going to have Ebola. No, 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 it's not Ebola, it's cola. You know, it, <laughs> yeah. But they presented it as if it's Ebola and um, it's a little more challenging is what I'm yeah. saying. I, I, don't, I would not advocate it right now as sure. an overly fruitful way to go forward, but there still are tons of people that are hurting, especially in our neighborhood, that are lonely and mm-hmm. isolated and they do not have the family units and the family that they might identify with wouldn't be traditional in our sense. And therefore, they are desperately looking for some sort of genuine connection with people. Right, right. And so it, there's got to form relationships and we got to get back to reaching out in somewhat similar manners. Yeah. But right now it's particularly challenging. I just have found that it, context matters. You know, if you're talking a suburban location, it's no solicitation. That's not a good, uh, not a good recipe. Mix. But if you're in an urban context, there are people that are looking for opportunities for connection. Yeah. I agree the coronavirus, it's made the it pandemic, hard. it's made that difficult, but still trying to figure out mm-hmm. ways to connect. Can you share with the audience, the, the whoever's listening right now, some of the creative things that the Lord led you to, and I'm thinking specifically about the um, the gift from forth to family in the houses, that type of thing, yeah. and what ministry it produced. Well, when um, forth was departing, um, they said, we'll give you a certain amount of funds to help you get started so that, because they recognize the people that we were attracting uh, would not have a lot of revenue to tithe on. So that was very helpful, but I, we said to them, you know what, instead of doing that, give us these properties. They had houses for seminary students, and uh, we said, give us those because we can then take those and employ some of our people that otherwise are unemployable, and we can teach them some job skills and ultimately fix these homes up and then uh, potentially get some of our members to uh, um, buy the homes, and we'll gift them the down payment and uh, closing cost. Um, that worked really well. We did. We actually, I personally, ended up flipping 17 homes. Um, I say personally because I think there were 11 or 12 of them were the church, and then the situation changed. We were having such success in this that our local community, uh, the government, took on a nonprofit that was government-owned nonprofit 
And they set themselves up to take first dibs on all the foreclosed properties, and all of a sudden it fell apart. We couldn't compete. So yeah. then I, I remember personally there. being a, a beneficiary of one of those 17 homes. The, the way you set it up, we had them completely renovated, and then there was a, a points system, right. um, hours of service, um, involvement in the church, faithfulness, and then you, you reached a certain level to where you're kind of on a lottery. You get number yes. one, number two. And the thing that was so interesting about that is it solved the problem of the church driving into church, mm-hmm. and it started to relocate People Family Baptist members right around the church. And that right. was, speak to how important that well, is to live by a church. If anything I've learned from urban ministry, that ministering where you, uh, living where you minister is huge. Yeah. There's tons of people, and a lot, most of our other churches are, uh, and I say in the urban setting, almost all of the other church, uh, churches are pastored by people that live in the suburbs. Hmm. They just, they, they drive in. I'll tell you what, the suburbs live um, kind of in a day-type arrangement, but when you live in an urban setting, life is after six and if you really want to experience what's going on and relate to the people that are going on, you need to live with them through this because that's when the chaos really comes yeah, let's comes talk, to play. Let's talk about chaos a little bit here. The last six months have been tough for everybody, but for you in particular and mom and Family Baptist Church, North Minneapolis, speak to some of the experiences that you had, the chaos, the crisis. Well... First of all, we were in lockdown. Lockdown was serious, uh, serious stuff. But then after the George Floyd situation and some of the social unrest, um, it got so violent, particularly in our area, that we didn't have any police response at all for two weeks. I don't care what your problem was. You're going to have to get outside of our neighborhood to get help. Um, it was That was really uh, horrifying, actually. And then the community, in connection with the police department, but unfortunately they didn't publicize this, um, formed a vigilante group to protect the building so they didn't lose any more. They already had 39 in our immediate area that were pretty well damaged, and uh, five of them totally. Um, they formed this vigilante group, but they were a frightening group. I honestly, the first night and the first couple nights, yeah. I thought we, our country had gone into anarchy. And this was uh, uh, military forces because they were armed with AK-47s and ARs, uh, 15s and, and there were these rapid-firing guns. And, man, you just, you know, you have to, and you sit in this situation and you're in the house and they're right there. Yeah. You know, they're about 30 yards away from you shooting these things at each other. And you say, hold on a second, I didn't sign up for Vietnam now here. Yeah. It's just, there's right. something's wrong. I, you know, I'm not supposed to be dependent. Uh, de- over in Iraq, right. this is United States. There's something seriously yeah. frightening about this. I can't, I can't think of a time in the last six months when I've called you and you didn't say, "Hey, Jason, did you hear that gunshots?" Yeah. And I'm serious. That's at night. Well, that's been kind of the, the way it I was, is. I was just on a Zoom meeting with uh, with another seminary on the board, and and one time I chose to speak. They were speaking, and all of a sudden there was this rapid fire, and I asked if they heard it, and they all started. Well, I don't want to, but they, they thought it was kind of a joke. Well, I found out an hour and a half later, a man was killed oh, one wow. block from the house. Uh, yeah. Those were no jokes. They were real bullets, and they hit real targets. And that, 
it troubles you. I, I cannot tell you how your I just want to talk and think about it again. Yeah. I get away from talking about it and recognizing, whoa, that's, this, is, this has real eternal implications here and dangerous implications. And, and I don't want anyone to hear this and think, man, this is terrible. I don't ever want to go to the city. Because the city is in desperate need of people who are willing oh, to come and share the gospel and be an encouragement. But I, but I have to, I, I really would love for you to share um, the, the story of what happened with mom and the guy that broke into your house. Because they're still in the same house and they're in the heart of the city. And I'm thinking of the pixie incident, if you know what I'm talking yes. about. Yes, oh yeah. And I think of uh, Exodus chapter 11, verse 7. Um, I don't have time to look it up right now, but the point is, mom was sick, and it was on a Sunday morning, and the rest of us that, you know, that were in a family at that time had gone to church. Uh, we had a little peekapoo dog that was a yipper. I mean, it just, it would, it would bark at things that were blocks away. I don't think it was a dog. Yeah, that's true. It was, <laughs> it was like it was a monster, but um, she was home sleeping, trying to rest up, and she heard this noise down the hallway. We have a fairly large home, and it was enough, so she finally got suspicious. Is somebody home from church already? It's only 11.30. That doesn't make sense. And so she came out the door and looked down, and she would always keep the doors to our different bedrooms, um, five or six doors there, and um, she had keep them closed, and she could see one was open. And so she walked quietly down there. Our dog stayed in the bedroom where she was. And she went down there and heard some shuffling around and looked in and someone was going through your brother's military bags yeah. you know, that were sitting in the closet and was right. just going through it, a, a very large man. Um, um, and she said, well, should I witness to him? Because there, there was a lot of that going on at that time about another situation down in uh, Atlanta, I think it was. She said, no, I don't think so. And that, guy she, was that, that girl was taken hostage, so mom yes. should have thought first, let's get no, out. No, she, I think she came to that conclusion. Yeah, right. She goes back and uh, then goes down the other staircase and goes to gets her phone and goes outside. Yeah. It turns out that this man was high on meth. Um, and by the time the police got there, they did. They, this was well before. We're talking eight years, nine years ago, ten years ago. And uh, the police came and circled the house. They got our little dog out. But here's the issue. As it does, if you have time, look at Exodus chapter 11, verse 7. It talks about Moses uh, being told that, in fact, God even controls the growl of the dog. This dog didn't make a sound. And she was able to get out of the house safely. Um, it took four very muscular policemen along with a, a canine unit to take this man down on our balcony. And they really worked to take him down. I was thinking, God, you, you spared me because I would have confronted him. And yeah. no single individual could. These powerful men were not individually able to handle him. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. So. Um, and there are so many of those. They. Uh, someday you got to write a book on them or do more podcasts like this on these. But, well, but you know, let me go back to yeah. another one. God protected her. Yeah. God protected her. Now, we have sat in that corner 
where we have had all sorts of this type of chaos going all around us and SWAT teams raiding the house next and all of this stuff going on, I still have never found a single bullet hole in my house. Amen. Yeah. And it just it defies logic that uh, yeah, someone wouldn't, because uh, they're not all that good at shots. <laughs> um, well, well, so help us with what scripture fortifies the two of you, has fortified you during these times of crisis. Most recently, you know, your mother has written on the one bedroom went, uh, wall, uh, Psalms 4610, mm-hmm. you know, be still and know that I'm God. That, I remember the night when this vigilante groups were fighting who the others were, yeah. and they had this big shootout, and 911 says, we can't help you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thank you, and we hung up from that. Um, that was very, very important for us to say, now just remember, we just got to quiet our hearts. God's still present. He's yeah. still in control. He's sovereign. He's all-powerful, and he's all-knowing. Yeah. And he loves us. Yeah. Good. Number two, we we debated. All right, what are we? How are we going to respond to this? And uh, the verse that kept coming to my mind is, whether at home or away, and we are obviously at home. I make it my aim to please Him. So whatever my response is, I want it to be honoring to God. That's got to be critical here. And so we remind. And then, um, and overall, not just that event. Our neighborhood is full of people that are uptight. Um, and a good reason why they're uptight. But that produces anger and shortness. And what you see, and I'm, I say they, I'm too. You know, I'm the yeah. same way. Yeah. And I'm reminded myself, Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. That includes times like this. Yeah. And then in regards to being stressed out, be careful for nothing, but in all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request be known unto God. Yeah. And then to think properly on things that are good things. God's right here. Yeah. God had called us here. Yeah. We wouldn't be here if God hadn't called us here. And man, we've seen such blessings. Yeah, let's talk, and I, I wanted to get to that too because I don't want everyone to think it's just this, this war zone no. that everyone should stay away no, from. It's... Talk about why. What, what is it that's compelled you to stay for the last 30 years? Talk about some of the blessings of being a pastor in an inner city context. Well, it's to transform lives. The transform lives that, and it is, it's not hypocrisy. People are hurting. Yeah. I mean, they're just crushed. They don't have, and you just demonstrate the love of Christ in their hearts. You just see their countenance change, their hope they find in Christ. And no matter what they've been through, they may have been raped, they may have been abused, they may have, they may be totally addicted. You know, I think of the one lady who was uh, mama for the Detroit Boys Gangs. You yeah, remember that I when do. you were at college and yeah. your, your sisters were still teenagers. Right. Couldn't get her into a detox center because she was a key person in Detroit. And they listed that and said, we're not, we can't let you come in here. We can't help you. And so she had come to Christ, wanted to get off her drugs. And, and we finally came to the conclusion that, well, we got a room. And we brought her up and into the house and... Pam ministered to her. She detoxed. She went on for years now as a strong, strong Christian. I remember Governor Plenty in the midst of our trials, one of the other periods of time when we had riots and all this other stuff going on, calling and finding out about her. And she goes in and has a 
um, a sit-down meeting that lasted a couple hours with the governor of Minnesota because he wanted to know, how does somebody like you get turned around turned around so that you could be such a blessing to others? Amen. And That's she great. talked about Jesus. Yeah. She talked about the love of Christ. Um, and, you know, the starting of the church to the story that I don't ever want us to forget about, because I had the privilege of being there, a charter member, serving with yeah. you for the first nine years, and then you sent us off to plant All Nations Baptist. But speak about God's provision uh, oh. in purchasing the building, because that is the, that's the, kind of the picture of crisis and provision yeah. all in one. Well, we were unable to find a building that we would have any way of providing for. Initially, um, by God's grace and by the okay and blessing of Fourth Baptist Church, two of us that were very connected with Family Baptists and really had a heart to have that succeed were primary negotiators, were lead negotiators in, in this uh, selling of the building it turned out to be the public school. And we were able to negotiate this um, agreement that we could stay there yeah. and use the Clearwater's Chapel. That was a great help. Right. But eventually that comes to an end. He, he provided a, another way, but I won't go into that detail. But then, then it comes about we're trying to buy a building, and we didn't have the type of money. that is It's ghetto, but properties like churches and big buildings and property there is, can be very expensive. Another tragedy happens, and... Um, the Willis family lost their children in an accident in Chicago, and and uh, they ultimately were awarded um, because there was also the laws broken. The governor went to jail over this thing. Um, and awarded a great big um, yeah, millions award, of dollars, millions yeah. of dollars, yeah. and but he called immediately and said, "I." Heard through Dr. You know Doug McLaughlin was ministering to him and with you know just their dear friends and he wanted to help us. He wanted to give us the money. And tell him yeah. how much money he was willing to give you. Give a million dollars. A million dollars. But and I didn't. I didn't. I said to him, I. This might sound stupid, but I've been working really hard to teach our group. They a lot of them have been on welfare and the likes that. Uh, we need to be paying for what we get and earn what we get. So I, rather than that, could we just do this as a zero-interest loan where we would pay you back as we're able? Hmm. But we would still pay you back. It would be a responsibility. We wouldn't be given. I didn't want it given. I wanted us to earn it. And he said, I don't have a foundation yet. I don't know. It's, and so I, I wrote up something on a... On a piece of paper. It's like and a memo pad, pad or something. Well, no, right? it's just a... Right. Took a sheet out of the printer and wrote it up in hand and, and and then faxed it to him. And he signed it. And about two weeks later, I get this panic phone call from the uh, bank um, manager of our branch <laughs> just screaming. She was just <laughs> losing. She lost it. And I about, come down here right away. You've got to come down here right away. I said, what are you talking about? And he said, no, you need to come in right now. I said, we can even, no, you need to come in. Okay, all right, I got the point, I'll come in. Um, and it was all about the fact that a million dollars had been transferred to our church <laughs> urban <God>. church. <laughs> and she, that didn't make sense to her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That was pretty fascinating to me also. Oh, um, God so, is so good. God is so good. And this was just before 9-11. Yeah. And uh, we had put 
the money in the stock market. But by God's grace, I had said, you know, this is stupid. And we put some protection on that and went through 9-11 and we closed in November, the month, right, you know, just two months later. And we only lost uh, the million dollars, 30,000, and we made that back very quickly after the market started coming back. Wow. So so if, if you're listening to that, he was, someone approached him about here, have a million dollars. He says, oh, thanks, but let's not just give it let's do an interest-free loan. And I, I remember just being baffled as, as to your response, but I've learned since then that what drives you happens to be the principles of God's word and what's best for the people you're serving, not money, not fame. Yeah. Um, so to God be the glory. No, and, and let us not recognize the pain, uh, the pain, yeah. pain of the Willis family oh, for sure. and the generosity Absolutely. of them as a couple. Yeah. It, it, I just... It's amazing what God Thank does. Thank the Lord. Yeah. It's, it's well, stunning. Dad, Dr. Lee Ormiston, it's been great talking with you. And I, I'm sure this is this has blessed my heart, and I, I'm sure it's been a blessing to others. And um, any last words? Well, there is a tremendous need. I have, and you know this from my conversations with you, I have been a doomsday person about what's happening in America for definitely for the last five years. You just see we are so close to just flat out total anarchy and civil unrest, which we're seeing now this summer. Um, And I am challenged to the core that the only solution, it won't be government programs, it won't be a political party. It is the message of the gospel delivered by Christians who love other image bearers and are willing to invest in the lives of others for eternal purposes. Not temporal, there's not gonna be necessarily temporal temporal awards for this, but eternally, I think this is what God would have us really make a priority. Thank you so much, it's great to have this conversation with you and may the Lord continue to bless you and Family Baptist Ministry and other urban ministries like it. Thank you, God bless you. Thank you for joining us for Theologically Speaking. I'm really grateful to the Ormistons for sharing some of their life and ministry with us in this episode. I also want to alert you to BJU Seminary's new peer-reviewed theological journal. It's called the Journal of Biblical Theology and Worldview, and our first issue is now available for free on the seminary website. You can find access to that and information about it in the show notes. Until next time, may the Lord grace you uh, with the ability to think theologically about life and ministry. May the Lord bless you.